0: As human beings, what is our downfall? What is it that trips us up and ruins us? Now there might be many ways we could try to answer that question, but the Bible has a clear answer for us. According to the Bible, our downfall is our pride. The opening chapters of the Bible make that point several times. First, in the Garden of Eden, we find the man and woman in a beautiful place, an idyllic place, actually, provided for them by God himself. The Garden of Eden was a place for humanity to thrive under God's good, loving authority. But Genesis chapter 3, we find the man and woman... Burning, first of all, with the desire to be like God. They were not content to live a joyful and thriving life under God. They wanted to climb up and be God. And they took actions toward that. But the result of that human pride was a great fall. Genesis chapter 3 ends with the man and woman outside the beautiful garden of God. Then in Genesis chapter 11, we find humanity resolving together to build themselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And why did they want to do that? What was their motivation? So they could make a name for themselves. Humanity was not content for God to rule from heaven and for God's name to be lifted high on God's earth. Humanity wanted to climb up and muscle in on the action themselves. And the result of that Tower of Babel was a continuation of what happened in the Garden of Eden. In their pride, humanity reached up to try and claim God's throne, but they soon find themselves scattered over the face of the whole earth. As human beings, pride is our downfall. Our desire to make ourselves like God trips us up and ruins us again and again and again. And As we turn to the book of Isaiah this morning, we are shown that reality in very stark terms. We've been saying over the last couple of weeks, this book as a whole gives us a portrait of God, the great King, and our passage this morning shows us The Splendor of His Majesty. The opening verse of Isaiah told us this book is a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Last week we said the focus of this book alternates between the Jerusalem that is and the Jerusalem that will be. We move back and forward between the Jerusalem of Isaiah's day and the new Jerusalem that is to come. And last week, the beginning of chapter 2, gave us our first glimpse of the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that will be. One of the things that stood out in that brief glimpse was the God-centeredness of that city that's to come. We're told all nations will stream to that city. Why? Why will they come to the city? To meet God? To learn God's ways in order to walk in His ways. God is the center of the city. That's the new Jerusalem. What about the present Jerusalem? The Jerusalem of Isaiah's day. Well, we return to that city in verse 6 of chapter 2. We're going to pick up there and read down to the end of the chapter in verse 22. If you haven't found the passage yet, it's uh, page 688 in the Church Bibles. Or in the larger print, 1063. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to the chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled." For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols, totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? This is God's word. There are two themes in this passage. The first theme is human self-exaltation. We don't tend to use the word exalt very often. It means to raise up something or someone, to elevate something or someone in terms of position and rank. So if someone receives a promotion at work, we could say they are being exalted. We probably wouldn't use that word for it, but we could. That's the first theme of this passage humanity's efforts to exalt ourselves the second theme of the passage is that god is exalted when this passage talks about god being exalted it is not about god raising himself up it's about god's exaltation being recognized being acknowledged he is high over all he is supreme in his position And we either see that and acknowledge it or we don't. But this passage is going to tell us one day we will not be able to avoid seeing and acknowledging that God is exalted. But our passage starts not with the facts of God's exaltation. We start with human efforts at self-exaltation. And the message of these opening verses is that Self-exaltation brings us low, verses 6 to 9. We've already noticed the opening verses of chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Those verses were about the future Jerusalem. And we noticed that future city is a God-centered place. And that is the context for understanding verse 6, which says, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They're full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. What does Isaiah mean by saying, you, Lord, have abandoned your people? Does he mean the Lord has totally abandoned Judah and Jerusalem forever? Well, if Isaiah did mean that, he would not have bothered preaching and then writing down the contents of this long book. This book is not a message of despair. This book is a message of hope. We've already seen through this book, God calls his people to come to him for cleansing. He promises deliverance for those who turn to him. We've seen him promise a new Jerusalem for all nations. In verse 5 of chapter 2, the people of Jerusalem were called to walk in the light of the Lord. The end of our passage today in verse 22, he will call the people of Jerusalem to change their ways and stop trusting in mere humans. God does not plead with people like this if he has totally abandoned them. So here verse 6 is not speaking about total abandonment. What we're being told is the Lord has left Judah and Jerusalem to their own devices. He has allowed them to go their own way. And the way they have chosen is the way of the east, verse 6. Now, at one level, that means the way of the nations to the east of Israel. There were plenty of them. And no doubt they seemed to the Israelites at this time very sophisticated and very cultured and very cool. But if we read the Bible carefully, we will realize there is another level to this. When the first man and woman were expelled from the Garden of Eden, they went east of Eden, away from God's presence in the Garden. And humanity began to live east of Eden. And so the east can include many countries on the map that are geographically east of Eden. But really, the East is any place that defies God and tries to make its way without Him. In fact, that's highlighted in verse 6 because the Philistines actually live to the west of Judah. So This is not so much about geography as it is about any place where self-reliance and self-exaltation rule the day. And those are the places the people of Jerusalem have been getting their ideas and their practices from. Verse 6 literally says they're full of the East. They can't get enough of ideas and wisdom and ways of living that leave God out of the picture or reduce God and that exalt humanity instead. People of Jerusalem can't get enough of that. They can't get enough of God's substitutes. They can't get enough of other sources of security and fulfillment and purpose. You can see that in verse 7. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to the chariots. What can give us security and stability apart from God? Money, of course. Wealth. Silver and gold will never leave us or forsake us. Silver and gold will never fail us. That's the idea. And it's not a new idea to us, is it? We hear all the time about the need to plan well for a secure financial future. What else can give us security and stability apart from God? A strong infrastructure. A strong military. Horses and chariots were the HS2 and the tanks of Isaiah's day. Just this week in our news, we've been hearing how we need to build up our army here in the UK. Because the times we live in seem to be increasingly volatile. More and more people are saying we better make sure of ourselves with a bigger, better military. That's what the people of Jerusalem thought also. They were not only full of treasures and equipment, they were full of confidence they could keep themselves safe and secure with those treasures and that equipment. But you know what Isaiah says? You know what all that is? All that stuff you're full of? It's idol worship. Verse 8. Their land is full of idols they bow down to the work of their hands to what their fingers have made an idol can be a little statue but most of the time it's not anything we put in God's place is an idol silver and gold finances those are necessary to some extent of course they are horses and chariots infrastructure and military those are necessary to some extent But when we look to any of those things for our security, we have turned those things into idols. And the daft thing about idolatry is it always involves trusting in something that has been made. We take some part of what God made, his creation, and we make it into something we then put our trust in. as if something we made could possibly be a true source of security. And the root of it all is human pride. It's self-exaltation. To imagine we could make something or we could accumulate enough of something that it would guarantee our security. That is putting ourselves in God's place. And the result of that self-exaltation, the result of reaching for the highest place, is that we become degraded. We are brought low. We are humiliated, whether we recognize it or not. Commentators tell us that verse 9 should be translated in the past tense. So people have been brought low and everyone humbled. In making themselves full of the east and full of silver and gold and full of horses and chariots, the people of Jerusalem have become full of idols. And that has brought them low. They have been degraded. They don't realize it, of course. They believe they're flying high. When it comes to living the good life, when it comes to security and having long term prosperity, they believe they've got it covered. But in reality, they're not flying high. Their attempts at self exaltation have already brought them low. People who come from Northern Ireland don't often have much to celebrate when it comes to sport. Our teams rarely make it to any of the major competitions, never mind actually winning any of them. But, we can claim to have produced at least one world-class footballer. George Best. Anyone who ever saw him play said he was special. If you've never heard of him, you can trust me. He was fantastic. I'm not biased at all. In his later years, George Best used to tell a story which he thought was very funny. And the gist of the story was, one day he was staying at a luxury hotel, he had a bottle of champagne in one hand, and his arm was around the current Miss World, who was accompanying him to his hotel room. At that point, someone else in the hotel stepped up, And with a sad look on his face, he said, Mr. Best, where did it all go wrong? George Best told that story because he thought it was funny. And I guess plenty of the people he told it to also thought it was funny. Where did it all go wrong? What a stupid thing for that man to say. Surely he could see everything was going right for Mr. Best. But actually the man who asked the question could see things much more clearly than George Best could. That man could see that for all the glamour and the high lifestyle George Best was living, his life actually was spinning out of control. Not just his football career, but his whole life was in the process of unraveling very quickly into alcoholism, into a life going from one failed relationship to the next. And by the time I was a teenager, George Best had become a bit of a national joke. As a young man living the high life, George Best thought he was flying high. But in reality, he had already been brought low. And here in our passage, verse 9 is making a similar point. The people of Jerusalem think everything is going right. But their idolatry has already degraded them. And that will soon be clearly seen. One writer says, If we fill ourselves with anything other than God, we are not enriched. We are brought low. But why does Isaiah say to God in verse 9, do not forgive them? Well, the sense is, don't just overlook this, Lord. Don't just let this go. We've already mentioned that this book is calling the people to come to God in repentance and be changed. The offer is there. Just as verse 6 was not talking about total abandonment, so verse 9 is not talking about removing all opportunity for forgiveness. But the point is, there will be no forgiveness without repentance. The word translated forgive here is actually lift up. In order to be lifted up, Those who are full of idols need to drop their idols and turn to God. They need to stop trying to exalt themselves and acknowledge how low they are. And the path to God's forgiveness is still the same today. We have to let go of our God substitutes. We have to let go of our pride and say, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Forgive me, not because I deserve it. Forgive me, please, on the basis of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Dying to pay for my forgiveness. Dying so I could be lifted up. So here in our passage, the people of Jerusalem are already brought low. And it's not just the people of Jerusalem. You'll notice verse 9 says, People, literally, man is brought low. This is a situation not just of Jerusalem, this is a situation of mankind, humanity. It's not unique to ancient Jerusalem. This is a situation we're all in. And now, having made that point, the rest of our passage looks into the future. It looks to an undated future day that's in store. A day when mankind who are already brought low will be shown to be low. All humanity's pretense of exaltation will be stripped away. Humanity's lowness will be made unavoidably clear. And it will be made clear because the splendor of the Lord's majesty will be displayed. In the end, the Lord alone will be exalted. Verses 10 to 12 sum up what the rest of this section is going to tell us. Verse 10 says, go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Earlier we noticed when the word exalt is used of God, it's not talking about him being raised up. It's about seeing and recognizing that he is raised up already. And before that's mentioned in verses 11 and 12, however, the start of verse 10 is a pathetic picture. On this future day, we're told, proud humanity, humanity who's been working to raise themselves up, they'll have no better option than to scramble for cover, to look for shelter among the rocks or the holes in the ground. And what are they scrambling to hide from? The fearful presence of the Lord. And the splendor of his majesty. That description is repeated two more times as the passage goes on. And notice, this is not about the Lord doing anything. There are no acts of judgment mentioned here. It is his presence alone. It is his appearance alone that causes proud, self-exalting humanity to scramble for cover. And even when this description is repeated later in the passage with the added statement that He rises to shake the earth, the sense there is, it's the Lord's presence alone that causes the earth to shake with awe. It's not what He does. It is the simple display of the splendor of His majesty that causes scrambling and shaking on the earth. On that day when the Lord is unavoidably seen for who he really is, it will cause every self-exalting thing to be brought low. One of the songs we sing very occasionally says, every high thing must come down. That's the message here everyone who seeks to make themselves high and exalted, every supposedly high thing that mankind looks to for security, it will all be seen to be low. Because when God is seen for who he is, then every other thing will be seen for what it is. Verses 13 to 16 give us a list of high things. Trees, probably sacred trees that were used in pagan worship. Mountains and hills. The places where other gods were worshipped. Lofty towers and fortified walls. The battlements that we hide behind. The firewalls we put up to keep ourselves safe. Trading ships and stately vessels. The markets and the business empires we build for ourselves. The things that we take so much pride in. Everything that we imagine to be high. Verse 17 calls all of it the arrogance of man. That's not because business or walls of defense are bad in themselves. It's because in our arrogance, we pride ourselves in mastering the world through those things. We look to those things for our security. We put our hope in those things. But on that future day, when the splendor of the Lord's majesty is seen, all those other things will be brought low. The Lord will be seen to be what He truly is. The only high thing. The only exalted one. Verse 18 says, all those other things, those high things that dominated our lives and our hopes, those things we trusted in and we congratulated ourselves about, verse 18 says, they will totally disappear. They'll just melt away. Beside the splendor of the Lord's majesty, those other things will be shown up. Finally, as insubstantial. Verse 20 says the same thing in a different way. It says, in humanity, scramble from the awesome presence of the Lord. Those other things, the things we once thought were so precious, they'll be thrown to the moles and the bats. The idea is, people are saying, they're absolutely no use to us in this situation, all these things we've clung to. They're no use to us confronted with the presence of the Lord. Let the moles and the bats have them. Maybe they can still be fooled into thinking they've got something worthwhile. One writer says this about all the high things we look to. None of these things can stand up for a moment against the true splendor of the universe that exists in God alone. So the result is that those who trust in those things must be humiliated. It's unavoidable. When the things we have clung to are exposed as low, low things that cannot truly help us, then we are humiliated. This passage does not end with our humiliation. It ends with a call to change what we trust in. In verse 22 Because in the end the Lord alone will be exalted, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? This is not saying that human beings are worthless. Read the Bible and you'll find it gives great dignity to humanity. It tells us human beings are incredible. But they are not God. Their life is a gift from God. The book of Genesis describes the Lord God breathing life into the first man. And ever since, even the breath in our lungs has been a gift. We humans depend on God for every breath. So then, verse 22 is saying, why trust in ourselves instead of the God who gives us life? Why take pride in what we build and make? Why exalt ourselves as if we could take God's place? That's not just arrogant, it is the height of foolishness. One of our songs earlier reminded us our worth and significance come from God. We degrade ourselves when we try to make it without Him. Verse 22 is a call for rebellious, self-exalting humanity to come to its senses and worship God. In the end, the Lord alone will be exalted. And yes, that is bad news for those who cling to their idols. It's bad news for those who keep on trying to exalt themselves. But this future day that's being described for us, that future day is gonna feel very different for those who today recognize the Lord for who He is and worship Him. When that future day comes, those people will experience it very differently from the rest of humanity. For those who turn and worship God today, that future day will be a great day. The greatest day. For those who worship God today, there will be no scrambling and trying to hide on that day. Seeing the splendor of His majesty will be the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. It will satisfy us for all eternity. In the end, the Lord alone will be exalted. And that is good news for those who humble themselves and put their hope in Him today. For those people, seeing the splendor of the Lord's majesty will literally be heaven. It will be the fulfillment of all we've longed for. It will be the satisfaction of our very deepest longings. And that fulfillment and that satisfaction will never be taken away. It will never come to an end because he's the only truly high and exalted one. He's the only high thing that will never be brought low. When our our hope and our trust is in him... Then our hope and trust can never be disappointed. And so let's learn here and now to see his worth. Here and now, let's give up trying to exalt ourselves. Let's stop clinging to good things and putting our hope in good things as if they were God things. They're not. Instead, let's pay more and more attention to the glory and goodness of our God. Let's learn to enjoy Him in all the splendor of His majesty. Let's look into His word until we see more and more of His beauty. Beauty and majesty that showed us mercy and grace sending his Son to be our Savior, to pay for our sins on the cross so we could one day stand in his presence. Not terrified because of our guilt, not scrambling to get away, not crying out for the rocks to hide us from his presence. No, because of Jesus, we have the opportunity not only to stand before God's majesty, we can run into the arms of majesty. Forgiven, welcomed without condemnation. Let's get to know him in his beauty and his majesty. Let's praise him now as we sing the splendor of the king, and then behold our God. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.